the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Satan, who wants no one to be saved, no one to be delivered, no one to be healed or made whole, who simply wants you to believe the lie that you are good and God is not, that you are your own savior and Jesus is not, that maybe there's a heaven, but there's certainly not a hell, so that you will die in your sins separated from God. This is your enemy. But Jesus comes along in John 10, verse 10, and he says, the thief, meaning Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ezekiel. As a follower of Christ, attacks from the enemy are to be expected in your daily life. Today, Pastor Gary takes you to Ezekiel to warn you of these attacks. Satan is a master deceiver and will use whatever means necessary to separate you from God. It is important that you are aware of his scheme so you can resist him and rely fully on the Word of God and prayer as your weapons of warfare. God's power that is in you is greater than any power of Satan that you will see around you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28, as he continues his message, Know Your Enemy. Moab is east of the Dead Sea in what is today Jordan. They were also guilty of mocking Judah. He moves on and he rebukes Edom. Edom is south of the Dead Sea, overlapping kind of southern Israel and western Jordan, kind of where Saudi Arabia meets, all in that area. And then he also rebukes Philistia. Philistia was along the Mediterranean coast, a small strip of land where the Philistines lived. Today, it is referred to as the Gaza Strip. So they are also rebuked for their vengeance that they want against Judah, their longstanding hostility. And then God devotes almost three entire chapters. You'll notice in your 26, 27, and 28, he devotes almost three entire chapters to a rebuke of Tyre. Now, Tyre was a seaport city along the Mediterranean coast in what is today Lebanon. Uh, Tyre is located about 50 miles due south of Beirut. And Tyre served to be the principal city, the capital city of the Phoenician kingdom. And during their heyday, which is this time in which Ezekiel is writing, the Phoenicians controlled all of the naval commerce among the whole Mediterranean world. 
because of their strategic location there at Tyre. And the king of Tyre became wealthy over all of the shipping industry and commerce from the sea, controlling all of that navigation. And so the king of Tyre became proud and he became boastful, he became arrogant. He delighted in his riches and in his position and in his power. And so he gets rebuked here. Now, they are also guilty of rejoicing in the misfortune of the people of Judah. But God's got some specific things to say about the king of Tyre. And what's interesting is, in chapter 28, you can go back to chapter 28. The first part of chapter 28, he's dealing with the literal king of Tyre. And then he shifts to the verses that I read at the top of our Bible study. And he talks about a figurative king Tyre who serves to be a picture of or a type of Satan. Now, let me point this out to you. If you go back here to chapter 28, I'm going to read the first five verses. And the first five verses, Ezekiel is addressing the literal King Tyre. And here's what we read. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is lifted up, that's pride, and you say, I am a God. I sit in the seat of gods in the midst of the seas. Yet you are a man and not a God. Though you set your heart as the heart of a God, behold, you are wiser than Daniel. I think there's some sarcasm there. There is no secret that can be hidden from you. With your wisdom and your understanding, you have gained riches for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom and trade, you have increased your riches and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. Now, pause there for a moment and you get, you get the idea of the king of Tyre. Uh, the king of Tyre, this is a literal rebuke of the literal king of Tyre, first five verses here. He's proud, he's boastful, he's arrogant. His power, position, and prestige and privilege have all gone to his head such that he has now deified himself in his own mind. And the king of Tyre sees himself like a god. I'm ruling the seas, I'm controlling all the shipping commerce, I'm wealthy, I'm powerful. And so God rebukes him for this. But Because he is like this, boastful, proud, arrogant, all of this, he serves to be a perfect picture, a type of Satan. Because Satan, likewise, became proud on account of his beauty. He was boastful. He was arrogant because of his power and privilege and prestige. It all went to his head. Satan deified himself in his mind, and he became like God, wanting to be God, you see. And so there's a shift here in chapter 28, where verses 11 to 19 that I started our Bible study with are now the figurative King Tyre. Not the literal King Tyre. It's now shifting here to use the kind of man that that the King of Tyre was as a picture to help us understand a little bit about our enemy, Satan. So let me point this out to you. There are several reasons why in verses 11 and 19, it's not the literal king Tyre. I'm going to point out a few to help us see that God is actually using the king to paint a picture of who our real enemy is, which is Satan. So if you'll notice in your Bibles there in chapter 28, verse 13, it tells us that he was in Eden, the garden of God. He was in Eden, the garden of God. You see that? Well, there were only four beings in Eden outside of the animal kingdom. And that was Adam, Eve, God, and Satan. And then Eden ended up, you know, being guarded for a while after Adam and Eve were expelled. And then it was destroyed by the flood. The king of Tyre was never in Eden, the garden of God. 
So again, this is helping us to understand, oh, this is just figurative. This is actually speaking here about Satan. If you notice also in verse 13, the latter part of verse 13, it talks about how he was created. That's an important word, created. The Hebrew word is bara. Bara is a word that means to create something out of nothing. Much of the Genesis account uses the word bara in terms of creation. But typically, that's not going to describe a human being because subsequent to the first Adam who was created, we've been made. We've been made out of material that exists, being, you know, a descendant race of people. In fact, remember in Psalm 139, verse 14, when David was ascribing honor to God about life, he said, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He didn't say I was fearfully and wonderfully created. And it's a different Hebrew word because human beings, generally speaking, are made. The original Adam created. And so this speaks here not of the king of Tyre when God uses the word created. This also speaks of the creation aspect of the angelic beings. This is a reference again to Satan. Also in your Bibles there, verse 14, God just clearly calls him the anointed cherub. In verse 14, the anointed cherub. The NIV says the guardian cherub. This is a being, a cherub is a being of the angelic order. Now, Ezekiel has more to say about cherub, or cherubim is the plural. Ezekiel has more to say about cherubim than any other book of the Bible. There's a fascinating study when you read through the book of Ezekiel, especially like chapter 10 talks extensively about cherubim. And here's this other reference to an anointed cherub. So Ezekiel knows a lot about these angelic creatures. They are not, contrary to your Christmas card, chubby little babies with little wings floating on wispy clouds. That is not a cherub. Cherub are of the high angelic order. They were winged creatures, the Bible does say, and they were always in the presence of the Lord. The Bible says that God is enthroned between the cherubim. In fact, as part of God's detailed description of how the temple should be built and adorned, cherubim were to be and were in Solomon's temple carved on the interior of the temple of the Lord and cherubim were fashioned out of gold with their wings extended and placed over top of the Ark of the Covenant on the mercy seat of God. So cherubim are referenced throughout the Bible and the fact that God is referring here to you being an anointed cherub is not a reference to the king of Tyre. He's not an angel. He's not of the angelic order. Satan is, however, because Satan was originally created as an anointed cherub, as a guardian cherub. And then also one more point I'll mention. There's several things here, but just one more point. Verse 16, the latter part of verse 16, God says, therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God because he had sinned. So he says, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. This is a reference to when Satan was cast out of heaven because of his pride and rebellion and his sin. The king of Tyre was never cast out of the mountain of God. So again, when you're reading these verses here in Ezekiel 28, 11 and 19, this all speaks of our enemy. We got to know our enemy and we have to know who we are or whose we are lest we succumb in the battle. You see, Satan started out as a beautiful angelic creature is what this text is telling us. His being was adorned with every precious gem and stone. That list that we read through earlier speaks of some incredible gems that adorned 
the very being of Satan when he was first created in verse 13, sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, emerald with gold. I mean, try to imagine a very spectacular, colorful being. And it also tells us, by the way, in verse 13 of our text, that he was also created with timbrels and pipes. Now, it's very interesting. There's been a lot of discussion and debate about what those words mean. But when you dig it out a little bit, it seems to be from many Bible scholars that timbrels refers to something like a drum or a tambourine and pipes refers to something like a flute. And that what is being suggested in the text is that the very being of Satan in his original design were embedded within his being musical instruments. That actual musical instruments were part of his being. And for those of you musicians, you got to haul your musical instrument everywhere you go, all right? Not Satan. He would just be like, you know, playing the flute off of something, some appendage of his or whatever. But a lot of Bible scholars believe that Satan was actually the original worship leader in heaven. That's no reference of our worship leaders. I'm just pointing it out, okay? It's just like, you know, we have wonderful people who work in our finance department. Okay, Judas, okay, you know, but don't blame them, you know. So anyway, I'm just pointing it out. So here he is, this beautiful angelic creature adorned with all these precious gems and stones, musical instrumentation embedded in his body. And it was on account of his beauty, verse 17 tells us that pride filled his heart and he sinned against God and he led a rebellion in heaven. And Revelation 12 tells us that he swept a third of the stars, meaning angels, with him in that rebellion. And so God kicked him out of heaven along with a third of the angels who rebelled with him who are now more commonly known as demons, those fallen angels. And Satan and his demons were cast to earth. Revelation 12 verse 9 says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Jesus was there to see all this, by the way. He said in Luke 10, 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And so Satan is cast down to earth, and he first appears in the Garden of Eden in the form of a serpent. And he's there to deceive Eve and Adam into following his rebellion. And he's been leading the whole world astray ever since, influencing the world with his evil. This is what he's up to. Revelation 20 speaks of Satan's ultimate judgment when God will cast him into the lake of fire, where he will be tormented forever. Revelation 20.10 says, The devil who deceived the world was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. But his judgment is future. So presently, meanwhile, we have an adversary who is unseen, who along with his demonic forces are working to wreck this world, working to wreck your life, your marriage, your family, anything he can to influence you away from God. He is crafty. He is sly. He is subtle. And he is deceiving people into believing lies as if they were the truth. And the Bible tells us this in 2 Corinthians 4.4. The God of this age, small g, a reference to Satan. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Our world is under a demonic delusion. 
The influence of Satan in our world is undeniable. Except, of course, to people who are blinded like 2 Corinthians 4.4. And then they don't see what we're talking about. There's some people who even think, I'm off my rocker for talking like this. Because they don't understand. They've been blinded to the reality that Satan, our adversary, is working in subtle, deceptive, lying ways to convince people of things that aren't true. Because his ultimate desire is to take as many people to hell with him. So he's working overtime. And it's undeniable in our culture. You can see the normalization and celebration of gender confusion and sexual sin. The adoration of creation over the creator. The elevation of the spotted owl and sea turtles with more legal protection today than an unborn baby. And the murder of those unborn babies as reproductive rights. The rise in racism and anti-Semitism, hatred and hostility, pornography, and every evil under the sun. All of this and much more is incited by Satan, who wants no one to be saved, no one to be delivered, no one to be healed or made whole. Who simply wants you to believe the lie that you are good and God is not, that you are your own savior and Jesus is not. That maybe there's a heaven, but there's certainly not a hell. So that you will die in your sins separated from God. This is your enemy. But Jesus comes along in John 10, verse 10. And he says, the thief, meaning Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's Jesus. That's our Savior. And we are called to take our stand against the devil. And his schemes. So we have to know our enemy and we have to know whose we are. I'm going to give you three quick points. Wanted to kind of scale it down to three things that we could remember, particularly. Number one is to resist him. To resist him. 1 Peter 5 8 and 9 says, Be self controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone, seeking those. To devour. It says, resist him standing firm in the faith. The Apostle James said something very similar to what Peter said. In James 4 7, James wrote, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, a lot of times people think, I'm just going to resist the devil. No, you got to submit to God first. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The idea of resisting the devil means. To be wise about the ways of Satan, his strategies, his deception, his temptations, his evil influence in our world and in our homes. And rather than being seduced by all that, to resist, to resist him, to give the enemy no ground in your life. Be wise about the way that he works, friends. We're on to you, devil. I think this is a common saying that some people like to use, but... There's this lady that I know, and every time she comes up to something that she knows, probably Satan's behind this. She goes, not today, devil, not today. You can just hear walking around sometimes going, not today, devil, not today. We need to be wise about the way that he works and resist him and give the enemy no ground, either for ourselves or our loved ones. Number two, rely on the word of God and prayer as weapons of our warfare. 
There's a passage in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, a very familiar passage to many of you, where Paul likens the spiritual battle that we face. In fact, in Ephesians 6, Paul talks about the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. They're unseen, but they are there looking to devour you. And he likens the spiritual battle that we're in to getting dressed for battle like a Roman soldier. And in Ephesians chapter 6, he talks about the different aspects of the attire of a military soldier in the Roman army and how we have to be like this. It's very appropriate because we're in a battle. At the end of the list, I just wanted to highlight from Ephesians 6 verses 17 and 18 that Paul reminds us the greatest weapons that we have in our arsenal are the Word of God and prayer. He ends the section on spiritual warfare saying this in Ephesians 6, 17 to 18. He says, And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. He says, we got to take the Word of God, and we got to be praying people. we got to know Scripture as our defense, as our weapon of warfare. Actually, it's the only offensive weapon mentioned in the list of Ephesians chapter 6. It's the sword of the Spirit the Word of God, and prayer. We have to know Scripture. We have to know our Bibles to be able to quote Scripture at those times when we feel under attack from the enemy. Remember, every single time when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, every single time that Satan tempted him, Jesus responded with Scripture. By the way, Satan also quoted Scripture in that passage, too, of the temptation of Christ. Because Satan knows Scripture. He just doesn't submit to it. But it was Jesus who quoted Scripture in response every single time. When you feel the enemy is trying to attack you, your marriage, your kids, whatever it is, hit him with the Word. Hit him with the Word. But you got to know the Bible in order to be able to quote the Bible, to stand on Scripture, the Word of God, as the weapon of your warfare and Pray, pray, pray for your loved ones and your friends that are under the delusion of the enemy, who are believing the lies of our culture, who are living lifestyles based on how our world now normalizes and celebrates certain lifestyles. They're living under the delusion. It's the lie of the enemy. Pray for them. Love them. Pray for them. Pray when you feel attacked. Pray when you think that others are being attacked. Pray without ceasing. And then finally, number three, is to remember that God's Spirit in you is greater than Satan's power around you. 1 John 4, 4, famous verse, many of you know, greater is he that is in you, the Lord, than he that is in the world. We don't fight our battles in our own strength, friends. In the book of Jude, It talks about how the archangel Michael dared not to dispute with Satan over the body of Moses. Okay, apparently Satan was, upon the death of Moses, wanting to do something to maim the body of Moses or to do something to the body of Moses. And it says that Michael, the archangel, dared not to dispute with Satan over the body of Moses, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Because greater is the Lord, greater is Jesus, greater is our Savior than the enemy of our souls. And so stand in the Lord and in His mighty power and remember that greater is the Lord in you 
than he that is in the world. Know your enemy and know whose you are so that you do not succumb in the battle. Amen. That's all we have time for today. Our study through the book of Ezekiel is not complete, and there's more to gain from this complex book of prophecy. We're so thankful that you've joined us to understand the Word more. We trust Cornerstone Connection is a blessing to you. Pastor Gary has more to share from Ezekiel, but for now, you can explore his teachings on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll find a list of messages available under the Teachings tab, and feel free to download them. We have a mobile app as well. Just click on the go. This is a convenient way to take the word with you wherever you might be. If you happen to live in the Leesburg area, we want to meet you. We have several weekend services at Cornerstone Chapel, where we spend time in worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible with Pastor Gary. Look for service times under the About tab on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you live further away and can't make it to one of our services in person, come join us virtually. We live stream each gathering on our website. Well, our time is up for today, but thank you for tuning in. We hope you'll join us again next time when we continue studying through the book of Ezekiel with Pastor Gary right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know